We've been kind of covering the attributes of God, and I was thinking about this week either talking about holiness or grace to finish this series. And I mean, he just took me in a completely different direction. The name of the message is, The Father is Jehovah Jireh. The Father is Jehovah Jireh, which means my provider. And in this economic time, we need to know that. And there are several names for God, Hebrew names for God, and each of these declare his character and his attributes. For instance, Jehovah Shema means the Lord is present. We talked about the omnipresence of God. Jehovah Shalom means the Lord is peace. Jehovah Roi means the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is my healer. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is my righteousness. And Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. When both of my sons got married, I set them down because this happens to a lot of guys going into marriage. And I said, I want to tell you something. I don't want you to ever forget what I'm about to tell you. You are not the provider for your home. That is a lie that Satan has told men and it causes a lot of stress, anxiety, fear, and worry. I said, you're not the provider. God's the provider. You're the steward. Your job is to gather the manna that God provides and steward it when he provides enough for two days. And if you ever run out, it's not because he didn't provide it, it's because you didn't steward it. Because God provides. So God is the provider. We have to understand that. So that's what Genesis 22 is about. We're not going to read the whole chapter. It's the famous story of Abraham and Isaac. But I do want to show you a couple of things in here, all right? Uh, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now I just want to ask you a question, all right? Any of you ever gone through a test? Could I see your hand? Both campuses there? Okay. It's possible to get a revelation of who God is during testing. <laughs> That's when Abraham got the revelation of Jehovah Jireh through the biggest test of his life. And so we have this test where he thinks he's to offer uh, Isaac. He goes, he's ready to go through it. God stops him and provides a, a ram. Look at verse 13. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. That's in the Hebrew. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, now I want you to remember this because we're going to tie this in at the very end of the message. In the mount of the Lord... In the mountain of God, the presence of God, the high place, the exalted place of the Lord, it shall be provided. That's where provision comes from. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. This is what God took me down this path and I just never even seen this. A second time and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord. Now he can't swear by anyone higher, by the way. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, now I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Three things. Blessing, I will bless you. We're going to talk about blessing. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. Multiplying, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. We're going to talk about possessing. Blessing, multiplying, and possessing. So here's number one, blessing. Verse 17 reminds you, he said, blessing, I will bless you. This is the original word that God gave Abraham. Look, flip back to Genesis 12, all right? Just a few chapters back. Genesis 12, here's the original word that he gives him. 
Verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. By the way, that's the reason we're blessed, to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, here's the first thing he tells him, I want to bless you. And then after he goes to this test, God says, I'm going to bless you. I want to bless you. Okay, here's the question. What did Abraham have to do to receive this blessing? What did he have to do to be blessed? Because uh, we all want to be blessed, don't we? Don't you want God to bless you? Okay, what do we have to do to be blessed? We have to believe. It's another word for trust. Now, let me show you a verse, and then we're going to talk about this because there's confusion about this issue. And I really believe that the Lord has given me a way to explain a difficult doctrine in a short amount of time, all right? Romans 4, verse 2 says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. He could brag about that, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but actually as debt. <laughs> now this is a, a tough passage. Here's what he's saying. Here's how Abraham received what God said. Here's what happened. Grace. Not works. Now, Ephesians 2 confirms this, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, remember what we read in Romans 4. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Can you remember that statement? If Abraham was justified by works, if Abraham was justified by works, all right? Now, watch this, James chapter 2, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? We're in trouble. <laughs> when he offered Isaac his son on the altar, that's Genesis 22, that's where we started. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect or complete. And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham, look, same scripture that Romans uses. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then verse 26 says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Okay, well, is it faith? Is it works? Is it grace? Is it grace plus works? Is it grace plus faith? Is it faith plus works plus grace? Which is it? Well, let me tell you this. The problem is grace and works. It's either grace or it's works. But then we're going to talk about faith and works because faith is working faith. Faith without works is dead. Okay, but listen to me. Romans comes back and says very clearly, if it's grace, it can't be works. Let me give you two words for grace and works to understand. Grace is free, works is earned. So here's what it says very, very simply. If it's deserved, it can't be undeserved. Grace is undeserved. Are y'all following me? So if it's grace, it can't be works. And if it's works, it can't be grace. So Romans says it was grace. James comes back and says, yes, but it was working faith that responded to God's grace. 
In other words, God put out his hand in grace and I put out my hand in working faith and we got a deal. We got a covenant. Let me say it another way. Grace brought me to the door of God's house. I did nothing to deserve salvation. I've never done enough to deserve salvation and neither have you. It is completely, totally God's grace that Jesus came to the cross because we did nothing to deserve that. But grace brought me to the door of God's house and said, if you want to, you can come in. In faith, I believed what God said and I reached, grabbed the door handle and walked through the door. You follow what I'm saying? My working faith is the response to God's undeserved grace. If you didn't write that down, you better go back and get the CD. Because it clears up the whole thing. Well, is it grace or is it faith and works? Well, it's God's grace on his part, completely undeserved, but it's my working faith that responds to his grace. Let me say something else. Now I'm in God's house. I'm in God's house and I'm a believer, but I want to be blessed. So here's, how can I be blessed? Here's what God says. Let's just take finances for an example. Here's what God says. You see that room right there? That's financial blessing. Oh, I want to go in there. Wait a minute before you go in there. Let me explain something to you. The first 10% is mine. That's how you put your faith into action. Uh, God, I can't afford that. Well, you can't go in that room then. You can't say, I want the benefits without the responsibilities. It's not just finances, it's for any area of your life. God says, here's the room for health. Here's the room for marriage. Oh, I want to bless marriage, God. Well, wait a minute, before you can go in there, you're the husband, right? Yes. Okay, you got to lay your life down for her. Uh, I don't want to do that. Well, you can't have a blessed marriage then. See, God brings blessing to our doorstep. But it depends on whether I'm going to walk in working faith or not as to whether I'm going to be blessed. All right, so blessing. Here's the second that we want to talk about from Genesis 22, multiplying. Multiplying. Verse 17, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. Now, go to Genesis 17, chapter 17. Again, God had already given this word to Abraham. He'd already given him the word of multiplying. Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. God is a God of multiplication. Just look at nature. Just think about nature for a moment. Debbie and I have some oak trees in our front yard. And uh, every year, we have a whole bunch. A bunch is a, a Greek word for many. <laughs> bunch all. All right, anyway. So we have a, a whole bunch of little oak trees in our front yard every year. Now, the squirrels get a bunch of the acorns, and they store them up and all that, but they don't get them all. And there's a whole bunch of them. So all these little trees come up. So we have to mow them down, pull them up, whatever. Every year, we have three oak trees in the front yard, and then we have probably 30 little oak trees. Why? God's a God of multiplication. So is there a key to blessing? Yes, let me tell you the key to blessing, faith and obedience. 
believe and obey. That's what we talked about. I promise you, I promise you, you may be saved and in God's house, you'll never be blessed if you don't obey, if you don't believe and obey. That's what Abraham did. Matter of fact, it even says in Genesis 22, if you want to go back and read the whole story, it said he rose early in the morning. God told him to sacrifice his son and he rose early in the morning to go do it. That's obedience. So how could I be multiplied? Well, remember the story, Matthew 14, fish and the loaves. Let me just show you one little key to multiplication. Verse 17, and they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. And then I'm going to go and read it, but he commanded to sit down and he prayed over it and blessed it. And because he blessed it, it multiplied. Okay, let's just, again, talk about finances. Would you like to see your finances multiply? Some of you, a few of you, that's good, that's good. Um, the rest of you, you can think about it just some more. Let me ask you again, would you like to see your finances multiply? Yes. Bring them to him. It's that simple. Let me read you a few other verses here. Again, I just felt like God wanted me to zero in on this because in a difficult economic time, we can let this slip. And the problem is then, we go through even a more difficult time than what we would have because we lose the blessing and the multiplying of God. Deuteronomy 12, 11, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes. Nehemiah 10, 37, bring the tithes of our land to the Levites. Malachi 3, 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Let me say something. Our giving hasn't gone down. I'm not preaching this because giving's down, because we're tight. I know we've talked about the building, but most of you've been here long enough to know that wouldn't be my motive. My motive is I want to see every believer blessed and multiply. And I know that during a time like this, all of a sudden we throw this out the fastest instead of honoring God. And Abraham understood this. You will never know God. Listen, you will never know God as Jehovah Jireh if you don't honor him with your finances, if you don't believe and obey. When Debbie and I got married 29 years ago, I was not a believer, but I thought I was. Some of you can probably relate to that. A lot of people can relate to that. And I remember being raised in church and I got saved nine months after we got married, but I wanted to read the Bible to start our marriage. And so the very first thing we did when we got to the hotel was I read a passage that the Lord had given me. And I thought about that passage this week because the name of the message is the Father is Jehovah Jireh or the Father will provide. Here's the passage I read to Debbie 29 years ago. Matthew 6 verse 25 says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Who feeds them? Who's the provider? The Father. Are you not a more value than they? I'm telling you, when we talk about the Father, I want you to get this revelation. The Father is the provider. And if he provides for the birds, don't you think he's going to provide for you? He's got a door of provision, but you've got to believe and obey to get on the other side of that door. All right, and here's the third thing, possessing. 
possessing. Again, back to Genesis 22, 17. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Now look at Genesis 14. This is again a word God had already given Abraham. He'd already used this word possessing. Possess, possessor. Genesis 14, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, talking about Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, who's a type of Jesus in Hebrews 7, a tithe of all. By the way, this is about 500 years before the law. There was no law to give God 10%. But he did it. You want to know why? Because he recognized that God was the provider. He's already walking in this truth. Now, here's what verse 17 of Genesis 22 says. And you will possess the gates of your enemies. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to possess the gates of your enemies? Okay. The gate, think about this. The gate of a city was the most vulnerable place of attack in a city. You had these strong fortified walls, but the gates had to be open or closed. I remember a time when I had a place where there were cows around and you had this gate. And I left the gate open, cows got in. Well, that's the point of a gate. A gate is to keep things out when it's closed, but when it opens, there's vulnerability there. So, in the same way that we're saying a gate was the most vulnerable place of a city, and it said, I'm gonna let you possess the gates of your enemies. Let me tell you something else about gates. It was the most fortified. Since it was the most vulnerable, they fortified it the best they could. Very huge gate post, deeply put into the ground, strong, solid, heavy. They did everything they could. Okay, here's what the enemy does. He looks for the most vulnerable place in your life and he tries to build a stronghold there. I want you to think about it. Think about the most vulnerable place in your life and think how much time the enemy's worked on building a stronghold there. Have you got any weaknesses? Anybody here have any weaknesses? What does the enemy attack? What's he target? He tries to build a stronghold there, right? Okay, well, here's the great thing. I have a promise from God that I can possess the gates of my enemies. (laughs) The place where he built a stronghold, I can tear his stronghold down and rebuild. Well, how? How can I do that? Well, believe and obey, but let me go farther because when we say believe and obey, there are times that we try to believe and obey, but it seems like we don't have the strength. So let's just for a minute talk about strength, all right? Let me ask any of the young people here. Let me just say this. Have we got any junior hires here? Anyone junior high, will you put your hand up? All junior hires. Great. All right. I'm going to ask the junior hires something. Who was the strongest man in the Bible? You got to say it louder than that. Samson. Samson. Thank you. Samson, strongest man in the Bible, right? Okay. Why was Samson strong? Well, it's what the Bible tells us. Because the spirit of the Lord was on him. And as long as he believed and obeyed, the Spirit of God was on him. When he stopped believing and obeying, he lost his strength, right? 
But let me show you something that happened before he lost his strength, and it's amazing because we're talking about gates. All right? Watch this. Judges 16 verse 2 says, When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the what? Gate of the city. They were quiet all night saying, In the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight. Now I want you to get the picture of this. Took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gate posts pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, would you just for a moment get this picture? There are these guys right by the gate in the bushes. And they say, okay, now when he comes, we're going to jump on him and whip him. And all of a sudden, here someone comes down the trail and they say, shh, be quiet, be quiet. Here he comes, here he comes. So they're in the bushes now, okay? Samson comes walking down the trail. Now think about this. How does he know? What, what would give him the thought to pull the gates up? The Spirit of God. He just knows. I'm telling you, when you walk in obedience, the Spirit of God warns you what the enemy's plan is. So he's walking along, and he just gets this thought, so he obeys it. Now they're in the bushes. Shh, be quiet, be quiet, here it comes. Think about hundreds of pounds buried deeply in the ground. And he puts his arm around one and goes, Aah! puts it on his shoulder. Now remember, you're in the bushes. <laughs> this is the guy you're going to whip. He grabs the other one, puts it on his shoulders. And then he starts walking, carrying these on his shoulders. I think personally, I know it doesn't tell us, I think personally he stopped then and said, did y'all want to talk to me? <laughs> Do you have something to say to me? Were you waiting for me? No, uh, we, we were uh, playing hide-and-go-seek with some <laughs> friends. Are you sure you're not talking, want to talk to me? No, sir, Mr. Samson. No, sir, we didn't, we didn't want to talk to you. And then he carries the gatepost to the top of a hill, listen to this, sets them down on a hill facing Hebron. He took the gates of his enemy to a hill and he set them down where the gates could see that his strength came from the mountain of the Lord. That's what he did. Do you remember what Abraham said? We read it. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day. I told you to remember this. In the mount of the Lord, the Lord provides. Walking in the Spirit of God, believing God, Trusting God, even when it doesn't look like we have enough fish and loaves, even for us. But believing and obeying, that's when we get the revelation that the Father will provide. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.